Welcome to the first episode of Real Decarbonization, season five, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry will lead into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the CEO of Adamantine Energy. Our podcast name change comes with the release of my new book. It's called Real Decarbonization, how oil and gas companies are seizing the low carbon future. On this season, you will hear some familiar voices and some new ones, and they'll share what resonated with them, push back if they disagree with some of the material I cover and also give their take on what's coming next. So today it was just a delight to get to speak with Matt Gallagher. You will hear from him. He's president and CEO of Green Lake Energy Ventures, and he'll tell us a little bit about their work during the show. Matt has a BS in petroleum engineering from the Colorado School of Mines. He started his career as an engineer at Pioneer Natural Resources in 2005. He transitioned to Parsley, where he worked his way up to president and CEO in 2019. And then in early 2021, he became the president and CEO of Green Lake Energy. Matt also serves on the boards of Pioneer Natural Resources and Chesapeake Energy. You can learn more about Matt's biography in our show notes, and you're going to hear a little bit on today's show about one thing he thinks is coming next that I didn't cover in the book. Now, here's my conversation with Matt Gallagher. Matt Gallagher, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Real Decarbonization Podcast. Hi, Tisha. It's great to be back. I want to just jump right in. I have been looking forward to talking to you because in my new book, I've been making the case that oil and gas companies all need to develop an actionable 10-year real decarbonization strategy. Now, you have lived in the realm of leadership, both as an executive and on boards. And so I'm curious if you could tell us, how do you think about your leadership priorities for Green Lake Energy over the next 10 years, particularly in this context of real decarbonization? Well, first of all, Tisha, I commend you on the book. I think it's great. I've read it, and I think it's so needed right now. And if we rewind in the last 10 years about how we got here, and you needed to get emotions riled up, or the the global community needed to get emotions riled up, and it got governments activated. They put in policies in place to start to tackle climate change and start to tackle this problem. But in the moment where we sit, 2022, I think we are all in emotions and we need more starting to transfer to the actions. And what does that look like? What a pragmatic, realistic, achievable, approachable design for this. And that's what you're laying out. And you're also laying out how how individual companies can do that, how countries can do that. So I just commend you. I think that the timing is perfect. We need to shift into an actionable result. That's going to have some things that sound a little bit short of the lofty goals, but they're actually going to be getting things done. So at GreenLake, we kind of want to get things done. We want to be a part of the solution. And we're a year into our company, about 18 months into our company, and we started with development in the Delaware Basin. And every time we look at traditional oil and gas operations, we're looking at trying to do it with the kind of modern operator lens and aligning with a lot of the things you highlight in your book about how to have a lower impact as we're doing our side. And then other industries will have their net offsetting efforts and how they go about their businesses. But we're doing things, setting up uh, at the facilities, 
from the design onset to have a lower carbon impact, lower flaring impact, lower methane impact into the environment. And of course, all these things are beneficial anyways, because we sell sell the methane, sell the hydrocarbon downstream. But we are an upstream producer, so we're drilling and producing the oil, water, and gas, and then selling those products. And there's even going to be interesting things on the water side that will be able to sell over the next decade. So lots of exciting things, but going after it with a design-first approach on how to minimize your leakage, really, your carbon and your methane emissions. That's right. And I, I hadn't thought of this yet in this idea of a lot of people in our industry are frustrated by the emotional nature of the dialogue around climate and energy. So I like this framing you give of, well, let's get to work. Let's translate that frustration into action and demonstrable results. I think as you describe Green Lake's operations, I think that EMPs, it's particularly challenging to think about a business model in the context of decarbonization. And you talk about first things first, get your house in order, lower your carbon intensity of your operations. In addition to GreenLake, you sit on both Pioneer and Chesapeake's boards. So you have this dual view points where you can see EMP operations over this longer time horizon. How do you think of decarbonization, particularly in that context, US-based EMPs? Well, first off, I'm absolutely honored and, and feel like it's a huge opportunity to be able to have influence on two of the largest producers, one in the oil space, one in the gas space in the United States. And when I think about American energy and American leadership, what two better ways to do it than to be a fly on the wall inside these companies as a board member. And they're good leading companies at the onset anyways with their approach. And you look at you look at some of the first that they had done in their respective basins and they want to lead through action. I think it's that call for all of North American oil and gas is to be the desired barrel and the desired molecule for the consumer to have that license to operate, to be in a leadership position, to put the resources and the focus onto it and to walk the walk and to show others the way. So I think both of those companies are doing a commendable job. They're also collaborating with a bunch of other leaders in the space because it's moving so fast. When I just think of emissions monitoring, we were two years ago doing once a quarter flyover with satellite imagery. And then you you were able to sign up for monthly and then weekly flyover. And then in the last 12 to 18 months, there's been great breakthroughs in live emissions monitoring at the facility site, both through cameras, but also, you know, what we call sniffer types of technologies that can, you know, essentially measure in the air in real time. So these things are moving very fast. It's going to go from a calculated assumption of what we're doing to a measured in real-time reading, and then what you measure, you improve. And, and all these companies are doing that. So it, it takes every operator in North America to really have the desire to lead from the front foot, operationalize that, which they're doing on both companies. In fact, I think an antidote was Chesapeake switched over 19,000 pneumatic valves to, to air-compressed pneumatics as opposed to gas-compressed pneumatics. So massive operationalization of these efforts going on across the industry. So it's really exciting to watch. You're going to see reduction in, in unit numbers, and it's just going to drive a larger gap between 
U.S. oil and gas production and some of the sovereign production that you see across the globe when it comes to all things ESG and accountability on those fronts. So proud to be a part of it and really fortunate. I really do admire both Pioneer and Chesapeake. They've been leaders in so many ways in the industry, including, as you mentioned, collaborations across and outside of industry around being outspoken around reducing emissions and then also in the arena of water. I want to run one of my objectives by you, Matt, (laughs) get your perspective. So real decarbonization, in my mind, as the title of the book, really has two meanings. One is about translating aspiration into action as companies, but the other is societal, that as as a civic society, if we're serious about addressing climate, then there really has to be a place at the table for oil and gas companies, because everything regarding the decarbonization of our energy system happens better, faster, more reliably, more affordably with the oil and gas industry at the table. And I encourage leaders to take this as more than an industry leadership responsibility, but as a civic responsibility to step up and solve some of the biggest challenges that we have as leaders. And I would just love to get your thoughts about how and what industry leaders can be doing to step into this really a void of civic leadership around pragmatic, actionable carbon work. I like how you couch their civic duty. And even though we're businesses and how can we engage in the discussion? And I think there's just no denying how far behind we have been in that. We've been trying just to have the discussion internally within our four walls about what does this look like? And as we just mentioned, how fast all the technologies are moving, are getting our teams up to speed. It's been a lot of work. And so I think now we're we're ready to using some buzzwords, having some vulnerability that we might not have all the answers yet, but we want, and we're an industry that likes to, we like to have the answers. We like to know the physics behind things and have it square out at the end of the day. And there's some things here that we're modeling when you're talking about an atmosphere, when you're talking about climate that are not going to be exact. And I think if we can lay that conversation behind us and not worry about one plus one equaling two, that we know we're either additive in in something or subtractive in nothing. So we know directional items. So let's focus the conversation on, should we be emitting more or emitting less? Probably emitting less. Okay, how can we do that? And not getting so KPI and unit focused when we have these civic discussions. So engaging in the community, engaging in education throughout uh, even high school, if you can tutor throughout your organization in your local high schools. If you can host internships, those are big ways to engage. But then obviously you have to get involved and have discussions with policymakers. Otherwise, there could be the potential for a black and white policy to be passed in a non-black and white arena that is going to have really negative unintended consequences. So got to engage, got to stand up for these forums and create them if they're not going on in your local areas. I really like that. We are organizations overwhelmingly made up of scientists and engineers, and we want to be able to do all the math before we come out with some leadership ideas. 
But I really like what you said a couple minutes ago about creating the desired molecule. And especially in this global environment, we find ourselves in where the world is hungry for best-in-class molecules that are both secure from friendly nations and have low carbon intensity. And we're just in such a great place to step into this leadership void as industry leaders. Matt, you've put yourself out there quite a bit over the last couple of years, leading uh, now two companies, sitting on two boards. What have you learned in the last couple of years that you wish you'd known before this chapter? And have you had to make some hard choices? And I ask these questions all in the spirit of helping our colleagues in industry create some um, shortcuts in their own journey and learning uh, around leadership. So I think one learning I I take away is coming back on the private side, Green Lake Energy Ventures and Green Lake Energy is the fossil arm. And we really wanted to be 75, 25, 75% fossil, 25% energy transition. And what I learned as a small guy looking at rates of return and economics, you have to have large, large scale to get these renewable at grid projects done and long duration time frame and lower return expectations and you have to be open to subsidy markets prevailing and, and the like so that's just a takeaway that i share that why is that the case and what are we moving are the incentives correct to help continue to mold this transition? It was just shocking to me, the magnitude of those types of things. So it kind of discouraged me. And I came from a place of really, really wanting to deploy capital into discrete projects. So it's opened my eyes that where our industry might be able to, to help even more is on the adaptation piece and really the adjacency piece on doing what we can do even better. But again, that's one small, we have, 17 total people here. We do not have the expertise and the backgrounds in those fields. So we, we probably missed a whole bunch, but it kind of reinvigorated my desire to look at adjacent technologies in oil and gas. I'm thinking even geothermal, how we can use our skill sets. And you're seeing the likes of Talos, ExxonMobil, Oxy, getting big into carbon capture. The Gulf Coast has seen some large permits go out there. These are going to be large scale carbon injection projects. So these are adjacency things that we can do. And I think we're still at the tip of the iceberg. So I think it's kind of exciting for the technical people in our industry that that there's a lot within our industry and our skill sets that we can do. That's really consistent with what I learned doing the interviews for the book. One, the just risk and return formulas that companies have to think about with totally new types of projects are somewhat foreign to the teams that have lived in oil and gas world. And then I like what you said about this idea. A lot of companies now are getting direction from their board to stay at least a lane adjacent, like stay within skill sets that we know. So that's really important to hear in terms of particularly its relevance to to a smaller company. Last question for you, Matt. I'm curious, that's one thing you learned along the way. What things are you watching to inform your strategy? What are the big things you think may be coming that US-based EMPs and their leaders need to be thinking about? Well, a lot of this has to do with recency, I guess, the Ukraine war, but this reshoring of globalization 
And I actually think as proud as I am of domestic energy, we're going to have to re-export our skill sets in the 2030 to 2040 timeframe and be global entities again if we want to maintain modest growth because we've really had the magnitude of the shale resurgence in the in the 2010s is something that's unlikely to be repeated. So we'll have to export those and could that need happen at a time when international dealings and contracts and energy flow is getting much more restrictive. So it's going to be a challenge. I really have said it now for a couple of years, the energy, everything bagel, there's so much demand for affordable, reliable energy, especially as we get 3 billion more people up the curve to modern society, that we need all of the above. And it's, I think it's going to get a little harder, not easier with what's happening with, I guess, reshoring and, and nationalistic views across the globe, which are good for many things and need to be acknowledged. But I hope there's going to be trade pipelines that continue to stay open. Yeah. And Matt, let me just ask a follow-up question. So it was, it was a trick last question. <laughs> this is the real <laughs> last question. But do you think that companies then in terms of, I, I put a big emphasis on the, the skill sets of our company's employees. Do you think just being versed international relations, international diplomacy, operating in other arenas, is that going to be a, an important skill set for our emerging leaders? Is that something they should be paying attention to? I think it's probably the number one skill set that we've lost as independents and smaller companies. And it's overlooked right now because of what's happened in the last decade, that it was all internal and we were able to grow so much. So yeah, I think that's a great open-ended question for the listeners and, and maybe some things to polish up on, try to build to our skill sets and keep a global view as we move on in this energy transition. I love that. Well, Matt Gallagher, thank you so much for joining me on the Real Decarbonization Podcast. Great to catch up, Tisha. That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Matt Gallagher for taking the time to talk with me. I really found his take on uh, the future of domestic EMP is having to go international is really important, both for our emerging leaders and for our company leaders. I'd like to know what you thought about what you heard. So please take a moment to rate and review the podcast wherever you get it. I'd also love for you to check out my book at realdecarbonization.com. For more about our work at Adam and Team, you can visit energythinks.com. I'd like to thank Adon Rubio and Lindsay Slaughter for making the Real Decarbonization podcast possible. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.